Hello, everyone. I'm Priest Willis, and this is Missions and Marketplace Podcast, episode number 40. Today, I'm joined by Matt Miller, who is founder of SchoolSpiritVending.com. He started his passive income journey with a single gumball machine, but he didn't stop there. Matt transferred his business into a franchise designed to help schools raise the funds, installing spirit merchandise vending machines that replaced the need for kid-powered door-to-door fundraising. Soon, entrepreneurs of all ages, even families, were approaching Matt about starting a franchise of their own. So if you're curious about starting your own vending business, finding other ways to get into business that has high margins, relatively low cost for startup, this is definitely the podcast you want to listen to. And particularly if you've wanted to get into vending machines, I know personally I've walked in BJ's and Sam clubs and seen vending machines in there. And I've wondered, what if I just buy a $200 vending machine and stock it up? What kind of margins can be in there? This is the podcast you want to listen to. He answers those questions. Stick around to the end. Matt has a free gift for each one of you listeners that will start you on your journey to either getting involved in a franchise or at least pushing you forward into getting your own vending business. Without further ado, here is Matt Miller. Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders to discuss their passions in and outside of business and how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. Hey, Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Priest. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to have you. This is a unique story for sure that we're going to share with our audience here about your business and how you got into the vending business. But I kind of want to take a step back a little bit and get to know you a little bit more, Matt, and tell the audience because you have more layers to you than just this vending business. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? I grew up in the Chicago area and was fortunate to get a chance to go to the Air Force Academy for college out in Colorado Springs. From there, ended up going on to pilot training in the Air Force and spent nine years as a pilot. And once my commitment was up to Uncle Sam, decided that I wanted to get out on my own and make my way in the private and for-profit space. So worked in the hospital medical industry for about a year and a half and then transitioned to the advertising industry Mm. and was there for about a decade. And along the way, I realized a couple things. First off, priest, I didn't like being told what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, I learned that, especially with publicly traded companies, that the employees were not the number one priority mm-hmm. and that the rules were always changing and they never seemed to be changing in my favor. So I was frustrated. There were some decisions made along the way that put my family in a pretty rough financial spot. And I was looking for a way to develop some security and take some control because I didn't feel like I had any. To begin with, we sold aluminum cans and collected them. We sold used books on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Half.com for a couple of years. In fact, our garage looked like a library there for a while. And along the way, I had a good buddy of mine who went to church with who mentioned he and his young daughters had bought a couple of gumball machines. And I had read Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, several years before. And I bought into Kiyosaki's whole idea of passive income and making money while you slept. And none of the stuff I had done up to that point in time was passive in any way, shape, or form. So when my buddy Damon brought up the whole idea of gumballs, I was like, you know, that's passive income. Now, gumballs aren't real sexy. They're only a quarter, 
but the machine does all the selling once it's placed and the margins on a gumball is about a thousand percent. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, two and a half cents at Sam's Club at the time, 25 cents, you know, out of the machine. So I just started running some numbers to see, okay, so how many gumballs would I have to sell in order to start making an impact financially for our family? And I spent some time studying up, bought some ebooks on Amazon and kind of studied up on the vending industry and decided that bulk vending, candy, gumballs, toys, stickers, temporary tattoos, that type of thing, was the route I wanted to go because that equipment required very little servicing compared to other traditional mainline vending, sodas, snacks, that type of thing. So we're talking about the vending when you walk out of a grocery store, for example, and you see to your right or left where they have in the little plastic bubbles, like different toys and gumballs. Is that the kind of thing that you were getting into to begin with? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And you know, it's funny when I would tell people that I'd gotten into vending, their first thought was, oh, you know, snacks or sodas. I'd tell them stickers or toys or candy or gumballs. And they'd kind of look at me like, it just didn't compute. (laughs) You know, here I was Air Force Academy graduate, Air Force pilot. (laughs) What is this guy doing selling gumballs and trinkets, you know? But here's the thing. I didn't have a whole lot of money. I had only about $100 to invest to start with. And I needed to do something that wouldn't impact my career that I could do nights and weekends moonlighting on the side. And so I bought my first used candy and gumball machine on eBay from a guy across Houston for about 36 bucks and slowly but surely taught myself vending. And after a year and a half or so, we had about 120 locations around the North Houston area where we lived at the time. Wow. And we're doing pretty well. I had gotten into stickers and temporary tattoos and toys and all that by then. And then 07 and 08 hit and the market tanked. The economy went south. There was a lot less people going out and frequenting the locations where I had equipment. And I was frustrated because I had built up this business that was making me more on the side than I was making full time. But then the economy had issues. And right around that time, I had several young kids come knocking on my door, selling me stuff for the local school fundraisers. These were kids I didn't know. Their parents weren't with them. So here they were going door to door to strangers, raising money for the school. And as a parent of kids of similar age, I was frustrated and concerned because there was no way I'd let my kids out doing that. Mm -hmm. And here these kids were. So the whole idea came of, well, what if I did custom stickers for schools and put sticker machines in the school and it ended up being a fundraiser for the school, a more stabilizing revenue stream for me and my family and potentially get some kids off the street in the process. And so that's where the whole idea of School Spirit Vending, which is our franchise company today, came from. That's really cool. You know, this is one thing we all have to learn as entrepreneurs, that when you see opportunities, you have to either continue to build on them or, you know, you may modify whatever it is that you're working on. A lot of times we get stuck in a, an idea of what we think our business should be and we end up failing because we weren't able to adjust. So I think that's pretty cool that you kind of transitioned over to the fundraising or working with the schools to kind of do the vending side. Now, let me ask this. As you moved into the schools, did you continue to do what you were doing with your 120 locations of having the other vending business since it was so profitable? You know, I did that up until just a couple of years ago, and then I finally sold that off because we moved to Central Texas. 
those locations were now about four and a half hours away and it just wasn't convenient anymore for me to service them. But yeah, I, I maintained that for a long time and it provided the, some of the seed capital I needed to get SSV started. Mm-hmm. You know, along the way, I also got to a point where I was delivering pizzas at Pizza Hut for a while as well, just to have some additional revenue or money that I could use to reinvest in equipment because we were growing fast and I didn't have money. I didn't have access to capital. I couldn't borrow any because at the time our credit rating was terrible. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to do what I had to do. And for a while there, I was burning the candle at both ends, being a father of three, active in my church, full-time job, delivering pizzas on the side, uh, vending business in a traditional sense in local area businesses, and then starting doing what we do in the schools as well. There wasn't a whole lot of time for sleep, but we figured it out. (laughs) Well, this is what I love about your story, and this is why I have you on, because one, you kind of tapped into a market, to your point earlier, about coming out of the Air Force and even going into kind of the corporate world, sort of people looking at you like vending machines with stickers and toys, dude, really? That's unique (laughs) in itself. But then separately, the things you were willing to do and admit to yourself that you just didn't have the good credit and capital to start your business because there are a lot of people that are in the exact same position. But I don't know if humble is the word. They're not humble enough to go out and deliver pizzas and drive a Uber to pay whatever it is you're believing in. You know, Priest, I always joked about the fact that if I had to, I would flip burgers for my dream. I'd do anything. And I didn't end up flipping burgers. I ended up delivering pizzas. But it was the same thing. And I think too many of us take ourselves way too seriously. Mm. You know, we look at this degree and this diploma that we have hanging on the wall and doggone it, I'm going to do something that, you know, relates to that diploma. Well, that is very, very, very short-sighted, in my opinion. The degree that you have, if you have one, is worth more than what it says that you're good at, at least educationally. And that degree has value, even if it's just you learning how to work through challenging times and meet deadlines and to get educated and learn. So don't take all that so seriously. I I can't count the number of people I've come across over the years. They get laid off or whatever, and they're waiting for that ideal job that fits, quote unquote, what they think that they deserve as employment. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, dude, if it was me right now, I wouldn't be sitting on the couch every day. I'd be doing something to bring some money in to help take care of the family. Totally. And then continue to interview and do what I needed to find that position that was ideal in my mind. That's right. You and I think exactly like, because that's how I am. I'll hustle to no end until I get to the place that I want to be at or I believe I should be at. That's key. Really good advice. Let me ask this, Matt. When you were first starting the vending business, how much has it changed from when you started to today? So someone is listening to this and they're thinking to themselves, okay, vending. I saw at BJ's or, you know, Sam's Club, wherever you may be in your area, I saw, you know, where they sell vending machines in there. Can I start that way? How saturated is the market right now, I guess, is the question. You know, it's funny you say that because most people, if they had looked where I lived on the northeast side of Houston in Kingwood, Texas, would have said the market was saturated when I got started. But here's the thing. There's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of different types of vending. When most people would walk into a location and say, "Okay, there's a vending machine there and walk right out. 
I would look at it and say, okay, yes, they have a candy and gumball machine there and they've got some toys, but they don't have stickers and temporary tattoos or they've got stickers and temporary tattoos. They've got some toys, but they don't have candy and gumballs. I was always looking for the opening because the reality was there weren't that many locations out there that had no vending in them at all. So you just had to make stuff happen. Mm -hmm. And I was more than willing to put a machine next to somebody else's if I needed to. I might not make all the money, but making some money for my time was better than nothing. And if I did a good enough job and they were happy with the service I provided and the money they were making, you know, oftentimes opportunities opened up later. Heck, man, there's there's more opportunity out there today than there ever was. You know, a lot of the people in the industry are getting up in their age and, and many of them have moved on or, or decided not to continue. So I think there's as much opportunity, if not more today, than there ever was before. I think there's another opportunity which gets into what we specialize in. There is nobody that does customization like we do, meaning we are producing stickers specifically for each school that we're in. Well, the same thing could be done for restaurants and businesses, you name it. So there's a ton of opportunity along those lines for folks if they're willing to look at things from a different vantage point and not just do what everybody else in history has always done in the vending business, but realize the technology today and the internet and all those things give us opportunity to do things that have never been able to be done before. How do you think technology helps the vending business? You bring up a good point there. From what perspective does it really help it? First off, the fact that with digital printing and all that stuff, we can do short runs of product that we could never do before. But here's another thing. I think there's nobody out there today really capitalizing on the synergies that can occur between a vending machine and the internet. See, we look at the two completely separate. Oh, there's a vending machine. Oh, here's my internet. Well, what about tying the two of them together? One of the things that we do, I don't know if you've ever used a sticker or a temporary tattoo machine, but everything is vended in a little cardboard folder. Mm -hmm. And that cardboard provides the sticker rigidity so that it can be pushed out of the machine. Well, what we do is we print on that piece of cardboard. Nobody else in the industry does that. And in the process, we have the ability to do messaging there so that it's not just the item that we're vending that our customer is getting. We have the ability to do promotion of websites or companies or what have you. One of the things I started here a couple of years ago is a comic book company. The reason why I did that is because as a kid, I was inspired to read by reading comic books. So once we got a footprint over a good portion of the United States with what we're doing with SSV, I was like, you know what? It's time to start taking some of the money that we're making and giving back to the kids that are our customers and see if we can inspire some kids along the way to read, just like I was inspired to read Mm -hmm. as a kid. I started looking at the landscape out there and realized that there was a lot of adult-themed stuff out there or a lot of stuff that was really pretty brainless when you looked at it. So I found a couple of young guys, and a writer and an artist that were doing incredible work. They had just graduated from Baylor University. And I hired them, and we started a comic book series called Marlin and Percy. And they're, Marlin and Percy are a couple of apes. They want to be superheroes. 
And it's a kid-friendly series. It started in our machines on those cardboard folders. And now we're actually giving comic books away to many of the kids that purchase stickers out of our machines. So they're not just getting a sticker, they're getting a download as well. I see a lot of synergies there that as we go are going to allow for what we do to be even more and more profitable and more and more valuable to our franchisees and to our customers, those kids. So you bring up your franchisees, and this is going to be my follow-up question here. You obviously have done a lot of footwork, have a lot of experience in the vending business. You've probably seen the ups and downs of the business itself and know the corners and all the nook and crannies of it. If somebody is like, okay, Priest, Matt, I hear all this stuff. I don't want to go off and get my own vending machine. I want to be a franchisee. How does that look, Matt? Like if somebody comes to you, What are some of the costs that may be involved and how should they approach it to become a franchisee with you? First off, the value of a franchise priest is the fact that we've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, got the experience that our new franchisees get to benefit from. So instead of them having to be out there and cross the mountains heading out west in a wagon train with no roads. We've got the super highway that's already been built. That's right. All they have to do is follow what we teach. And, you know, the possibility of success is significantly higher than going it alone. You know, as far as startup costs, to give you an idea, a typical franchise in the U.S. today on average is about 125 grand. That's 125,000 reasons why I didn't own a franchise. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, our business is right just shy of 20,000 to get started. We intentionally keep it low on that scale because we want it accessible to just about anybody. Another real benefit of our program is it's a business that really fits into the cracks of your life. So as a professional, you don't have to choose between your career and what we do. Now, eventually you might decide to do that, but in the interim, you can do both. I put SSV together early on with just a couple of days a month that were either vacation time that I used or whatever to go out and talk to and work with the schools in and around Texas where we started and slowly but surely put things together. And after a while, amassed enough of a business to where we had some options for ourselves. And today, most of the money that we make because of the 100 plus schools that we still do business in ourselves and the model as a whole enable us to live that passive income scenario that Kiyosaki talks about in his book. Now, there absolutely is freedoms to this because as you pointed out, it doesn't need a whole lot of attention. I mean, vending machines pretty much manage themselves, if that makes sense, other than products running out and every now and then a quarter being jammed in there and maybe some other things that I'm not even thinking about, some crazy kid smashes it or something else. But what does that cost, the $20,000, does that include you setting up or helping the franchisee zone off like, hey, look at these stores. We've already vetted out some areas and includes the equipment and maybe some monthly coaching. What are some of the key pieces that that includes? The franchise fee itself is just over 10000 And what that does is that actually gets you a protected territory within your area of about 200 schools an area where no one else on our team can work. There is an opportunity for a second territory for those that have a desire for that and and see things a little bit bigger at at a slight discount. But that's the majority of it is locking down that territory. And then of course, the training that goes along with it. We also hook them up with a mentor 
who takes them under their wing for six months. It's someone who's been in the business for years, who has success in what we're doing. What we found is when somebody actually comes out and helps these guys out for a couple of days in their area, it demystifies the whole process for them. And it shows them truly how simple what we do is. Mm. That's a big, big, big part of it. They also get product for the first five locations and then equipment for the first five locations as well. So it gets them access to literally everything and it gets them what they need to get out and actually start making some money doing what we do. So I'm a guy or a gal that I call it horizontal money, passive income. I'm trying to start a new wave here, Matt. I'm calling it horizontal money. When people go to sleep, it's still making money. <laughs> but Heck yeah. But if somebody decides that they want to get into this, what does a typical machine, I guess, bring in? If you could share some of these numbers, if you're open to do that. The challenge I've got, believe it or not, is as a franchisor, the government has very strict regulations about what we can say and what we can't say. And unfortunately, in the past, there's been a lot of franchisors who have been less than ethical. And because of that, they've made financial claims that weren't true. Got it. So believe it or not, I can't get into a lot of those details. Including margins? Um, you can't share margins? Uh, no, I, I can talk margins. Okay. Um, you know, Margins are typically anywhere between 35 and 42, 43% typically. That's strong. Yeah. So the numbers are really, really good. Uh, to give you an idea, when we started franchising 18 months ago, there was about 40 families that we worked with previously under a licensing and distributorship model. Since we started franchising, we've added 56 new franchises in the last year and a half. So we're just shy of 100 total families that we work with around the country today. Folks might be asking, okay, so Matt, if you can't share some of that information, how the heck do we know if it's a viable business or not? Well, in the franchise interview process, that typically takes four to six to eight weeks with our program. About two-thirds of the way through, folks have an opportunity to call around to the franchisees on our team and pick their brains about anything. And since they're not selling a franchise, they can share averages and revenue numbers and all those kind of things based on their experience that as the franchisor, we're not allowed to share. So those questions will be answered in the process. It just doesn't happen right at the beginning because it doesn't make sense for us to subject our franchisees to you know queries of people that really aren't serious about pursuing what we do. Yep. So we wait until pretty far along in the process so that their time isn't being wasted. You know, most franchises do that as well. I kind of went through Chick-fil-A's process to start a restaurant here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and there was kind of a vetting process to it. Now, they didn't get into my credit or, or any background, but they want to be sure that you have, I think it was $10,000 plus to kind of start off a franchise. And by the way, to your point, you're not buying the building. You're not buying the location. They're actually just giving you an opportunity to own the process of the restaurant. So if you left, they'd bring another franchisee in essentially. So that's why the costs are low there too. So you have a good model obviously going, but do you guys do that? Do you guys look into people's credit and are you kind of vetting through if they really have the startup money rather than wasting your time? We just do a basic background check on folks and that type of thing. We use a tool called Zoom, which you're probably familiar with. It's a video conference tool. It's awesome. And Pretty much the majority, unless just something comes up during one of our calls, it doesn't allow for video conference, but the majority of them are done face-to-face -face using Zoom. And so 
you really get a chance to know somebody over five, six calls before either side finally commits to working together. So when you're able to talk face to face that much makes a difference. um, it, It makes a huge difference. And of course, we get a chance to meet the families oftentimes and that type of thing as well. So we got a pretty good feel for, you know, the character of the people that we're working with uh, and that type of thing by the time we get to the end of the process. So, Matt, what would you say to the person? Because I know you just have a a love for vending in general, and I think franchising would be the way to go because you can lean on your expertise and you guys kind of have, as you pointed out, you almost have the path cleared for me to be successful. Obviously, there's a little drive and a push that I need on my own, but you guys have opened up the doors. But what do you say about the person that's like, okay, Matt, I get it all. I just don't have the $10,000. I don't even have $5,000. I just want to go to a store just like you did eBay and buy a vending machine myself and start there until I can get to the $20,000 and then come to you. Do you think that's still a viable option for that person out there to get at least into the vending business? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. In fact, what I've learned over the last number of years, Priest, is there's a lot of people that fit that criteria. Mm-hmm. And in the next few months, one of the next things that we're going to be doing is I'm going to be writing a book about vending. We're going to put a course together and we're going to begin to make those kind of things available because that's just as viable today as ever. Now, I will make a recommendation just answering the, the question that you had a minute ago. The one thing from the start I would do bar none is I would not go to eBay to buy equipment. I would go to one of the reputable vendors in our industry to buy your equipment. The reason for that is because by the time I sold off my bulk route several years ago, I had a key ring, one of those monster key rings that had probably 150 different keys on it because I cobbled my route together with equipment instead of going to a vendor who has the best equipment out there and that would enable me to to have equipment that all has the same parts, the same keys, lots more simplicity in running a business doing it that way. Got it. So even though on the front end, the cost is going to be a little bit higher for that equipment, you're getting the best stuff out there instead of potentially cheap knockoff stuff. And having the ability to share parts and to have just a couple of keys instead of 125 or 150 keys it is a really, really big deal that if I had to go back today, I would have done it differently. So Matt, how do you build up your product for all these vending machines? So I know from a franchise perspective, you probably get great pricing because you're buying it for multiple franchisees and multiple vending machines and you kind of create your own custom stuff. But just in general, and you don't have to give names necessarily, but how does somebody go out and just kind of start product? I imagine they could start at Sam's Club and buy it in bulk, but at that point, you're not making a lot of margin. So how does somebody take it one step further? Well, you know, Sam's would have your candy and your gumballs and all that. And there's probably not a better place to go for that stuff than them. Got it. Once you get past that, though, once again, there's companies out there that specialize in selling to the vending industry, toys and and all those kind of things. And a lot of that is just really doing your homework and seeing what's out there. One of the benefits of what we do on the sticker side of things is the majority of what we sell in our machines, we build from the ground up. Mm -hmm. So because of that fact, most of our product is exclusive to us. That 
makes what we do special in that regard. It also allows us to specifically develop product that caters to our audience. And it also is a limiter of risk for our franchisees because with 10 years of experience, we know what sells. And there's many products that sold six, seven years ago that we can reintroduce every year, year and a half to the same success that we did before because they're not linked to any license or any movie or or anything like that. They're just what we call evergreen products that are products and things that kids just in general love. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of been there, done that. And some of the best products that we have, we've been selling year after year after year after year, year for years, because if it isn't broke, why, why change it? Well, I think it's kind of cool that you have the penetration into the schools. That's why I think as a franchisee, that's kind of a win within itself because most of your audience or the people that's going to do the buying is the kids within those schools. So I think that's key in itself. Do you have licensing agreements typically with those schools to sell custom stickers of their mascots and all that other stuff? Is that kind of how that goes? Very rarely do we have to do a license. In most cases, the schools, they're just using clip art for their mascot or whatever. (laughs) That's that's true. Um, You know, you go into X school and they're the bulldogs and you walk into the school and you see one bulldog on their their stationery and you see another one on the wall there in the hallway that's been painted on the wall and you see another one on the sign out front. So most of the time, that's not an issue. One of the things that I really appreciate about you, and I'm sure if you guys go out there and listen to other interviews and write-ups that Matt has out there, you're so sincere about what you do. You're 100% genuine. I believe your heart is in the right place for the kids. And businesses like this ultimately always succeed when you're doing good or leaving a legacy, if you will. You know, I believe that capitalism is important. I'm a firm believer of capitalism, but I also, I'm a more firm believer of conscious capitalism. I think that doing good for people, something that they can remember is important. And I think what you have here, Matt, and obviously it's in the numbers, but it's undoubtedly important and vital for families out there and kids. And it does bring a different perspective to fundraising and how we've seen vending up to this point. So this is really cool stuff. I've lived my life over the last 20 years or so with kind of a philosophy that if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll be taken care of. And if you strive to create win-win scenarios for the people you work with, it's a lot easier, number one, to sleep at night. But number two, it provides and creates long-term and stable business. You know, my 10 years in the advertising world, there were some other folks in our office that did really, really, really well. But oftentimes there were others that, you know, the company said, okay, you need to go out and you need to focus on selling this this quarter or whatever. And many times selling that item was not in the best interest of the client. And I intentionally, in many cases, pushed back and said, you know what, I'm not going to do that because I figured out what worked for my clients and the reason why I had a very low maintenance book of business, but a very profitable book of business that allowed me to be successful and one of the top performers in our office on limited work year after year after year is because I put together ad campaigns that made my customers lots more money than what they spent with me. And when that was the case, then I didn't have to go back and replace my customers all the time because they kept coming back wanting more. That's right. That's the same philosophy that we have done with SSV. 
is to create a scenario where the school wins, our franchisee wins, and of course, because we've taken the time and effort to put it all together, we win too. And because of that, most of the folks on our team who have been with us since the very beginning are still here today, still doing their thing, and we're growing like a weed because of it. That's really cool. You mentioned uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, so I can hear a lot of your spirit in there in terms of how you talk about money and how you look at people that you work with and franchisee. What are some other books that maybe have helped you persevere within business and and push along? I typically don't ask this question, believe it or not, but it sounds like you've really kind of leaned on people as you've built out your business or lean on uh, the wisdom of others. Uh, Where's that come from? Oh, no doubt. One book is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm -hmm. If your audience has not listened to that or read that, they need to read that book. It's probably the absolute worst title for a book on the planet. Sounds very manipulative, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And that's one reason why I wouldn't read it for a long, long time. But I finally was convinced to do so. And that book changed my life because it talks about the value of being a good listener and how most of us talk way too much. And if we spend more time listening and truly caring about the people that we're talking to and listening to, we'll endear people to us mm-hmm. where most people, they just want to talk about them. Just and to w- be honest, the people that you're talking to don't care about you. <laughs> so they really don't want to hear about you. <laughs> it's silly as that sounds, but it's true. Yeah, a lot of times uh, people are just waiting for their turn to talk, sort of. They're not even paying attention to what you're saying. That's a good book. I have it on my shelf. So that's awesome. I've always loved reading biographies as well. They've been a great source of inspiration for me. The book called Grinding It Out by Ray Kroc of McDonald's was great. And if if anybody in your audience has not seen the movie yet, The Founder, which is about Ray Kroc, I don't necessarily prescribe to his personal life and some of the things that happened there. But the story itself of how he built McDonald's was pretty incredible. And Michael Keaton plays the part and um, really, really good movie. I I read a book by Conrad Hilton and I'm drawing a blank on the name right now, but that was another one. Uh, I've recently read the biography of Elon Musk. You know, I've learned over the years reading about great people inspires greatness. Right. And seeing how they succeeded despite obstacles and, and all in their life is nothing but inspirational. Well, Matt, your story is an inspiration to me for sure. As I said, you're somebody that I think brings a different perspective to business, not only in a genuine sense, it's not all about the dollar, but just really, you know, the business itself, it's not huge, or let me use a different word. It's not bigly um, technology driven, but it is certainly something that I think it can be disruptive in a lot of sense. And I think it'll evolve over time when you have people like yourself that think about it different. And, you know, even with 3D printing, that's getting real big, you know, how are ways that you can incorporate 3D printing into vending and all this other stuff. So I think you're on the cusp of really cool stuff and have a great model in place, especially with franchising it. So how can people find you? And if they want to be a part of what you're doing or become a franchisee, what are some places that they can connect with you at? Priest, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to give something away to anybody in your audience who's interested. I, I wrote a short ebook. It's called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Need to Own a Vending Business. And it shares some insights that over 
12, 13 years now in vending, I've learned over the years that most professionals have never even thought of before about the power of vending and how it might fit and work with what they're already doing. We set up a landing page specifically for your audience. Awesome. It's ssbusiness.com forward slash M and M. And, you know, would love for anybody in your audience who's interested in checking that out to do so. And then if they want to start a dialogue about the franchise, you know, they're more than welcome to do that as well. But at a minimum, they can get educated a little bit more on vending and how it might make an impact for them. Here's the situation I was in. I had to make money. I was not in a position when I started vending to be able to just kind of take some time and figure it out and eventually work it out. And what I found, and one of the reasons why I didn't get big into technology or into the web world as far as content and all that, is as you know, Priest, that can be a really, really, really long game. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a lot of people that are making great money, but I didn't have time for the long game. I needed something that was going to produce next month, not three years from now or whatever. <laughs> right. So that was a huge part of vending and me getting started in vending was because I bought a machine. I bought gumballs. I put it out there. Two weeks later, I went back and there was quarters spilling out of it. And I didn't have to wait to see if it was going to work or not. So I would just encourage your audience that if they're in a similar situation, you know, that it's real. It takes some work. It takes some effort. You know, you're going to get out of your comfort zone and have to learn some things. But the reality is there's no almost no quicker way to be able to begin making money and to begin making money passively as well as vending. Wow, that's really cool, guys. And I listen. This is to our listeners out there. I know there's a lot of you that are in that position right now where you're looking for something to start up and earn passive money now. So we'll link up the free gift that Matt has for you guys so that you guys can at least start to get some wheels under you after you're done listening to the podcast here and definitely reach out to Matt and his team and see if this is something that you can start with and start to run off with. Obviously, he's a great guy and I believe in this business for sure. Priest, I appreciate Appreciate the opportunity being here, man. It's Thanks. been it's been awesome. Thanks, Matt. You've been great. Appreciate your time, man. It was an honor. Yep. God bless you. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online, or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at affiliatemission.com, the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also, feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook. LinkedIn, and Twitter pages, and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world. I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious.